This is a Federal News Network podcast. Welcome to For Your Benefit, presented by NITP, the federal leader in retirement planning seminars sponsored by WEPA. Join NITP for an hour of plain talk on planning your future. You've got questions, they've got answers. Welcome to the February 12th, 2024 For Your Benefit radio show. I am Bob Lines, and together with the guest, Mark Levine, Esquire, attorney at law. Good morning, Mark. Morning, Bob. How are you? Well, everything's good and soon to be better. Well, listening to your velvet tones and Andrew guides us through um, the technical side of uh, life. So we're going to talk about estate planning uh, without estate planning. How, how does that work? So well, how does joint ownership and beneficiaries and all that help explain? Yeah, so I think what we're going to talk about today are estate planning, not necessarily the way people think of estate planning or not with the tools they think of. So sort of almost immediately when when we when I say I do estate planning or, uh, you know, someone asked me a question that's immediately about, oh, my will or, you know, my trust, if they, they're really thinking about things. Um, and and, you know, there's a lot of things that happen in estate planning that is not about your will or your trust. As a matter of fact, I've had people say to me, well, I don't need an estate plan. You know, I just need to do a will. But an estate plan is really about making sure all the different ways that assets transfer at death are working together. So the main ones people think about are probate, right? Probate, using a will to transfer assets through probate or a revocable trust, using a revocable trust to transfer assets through probate or outside of probate. But there are things, you know, there are beneficiary designations and there is joint ownership. And those are two ways where people may transfer more value at death than through their will or their trust. Uh, and they very often will. So, you know, I thought it was a, a good thing that that we could talk about just a different way of, of different things that affect your, your estate planning. All right. How would, how would anybody know that they need an information series with what we're talking about today or how many people kind of try to do it themselves and then come in and say, Mark, uh, could you review this and tell me what's right or wrong? Well, you know, it's interesting because, because this comes up, this subject comes up a lot in those situations. So people will say, well, I got this will, or I got this um, uh, something online, or I wrote it myself, or I think this is all I need. Um, so yeah, just tell me that, you know, whether I need anything else. And, Although I don't really do that in terms of reviewing wills, when we sit down and start talking about things, they realize there are things they haven't dealt with. So for example, you know, if you say to somebody, well, you know, you're going to have assets that transfer outside of your will, like a piece of property, right? So if you and I own a house joint with rights of survivorship and I die, you get that house. It's your house. Even if my will says, no, give my interest in the house to my wife, right? The joint ownership, if we own it joint with rights of survivorship, it's going to, it, it is what it says it is, right? It's survivorship. Whoever survives gets the house. Um, so, you know, people don't always understand that. I've had people say to me, well, no, my will says it gets, you know, my interest goes to my wife. And I have to explain to them that, that that's not what would happen. And there's really two ways that we own property with people. There's joint with rights of survivorship and that things go you know, directly uh, to the joint owner. And then there's something called tenants in common. Tenants in common, if you and I own a house tenants in common, that means you know, Mark owns 50%, Bob owns 50%. Now maybe Bob owns 90% and Mark only owns 10%. Uh, but whatever percentage I own, I get to leave that just to my wife. So if my will says, give my interest in the house I own with Bob to my wife and it's tenants in common, she'll get it. Then you now own a house with my wife, uh, whether you want to or not. Uh, if it says joint with rights of survivorship, then it's gonna go to you. Uh, and my wife doesn't end up owning anything uh, at all. Uh, and so understanding that is really important because you know, a lot of times people don't. Um, 
joint ownership becomes an issue a lot of times uh, because people don't know how they own property, right? So, you know, if I would ask you, how do you own your house with, with your wife, Bob? I don't know. <laughs> so that's, that's the problem because sometimes, you know, normally what happens is someone will say to me, well, uh, you know, I, I own my house and I'll say, do you own any other real estate? And they say, yes, I own a third of a house in Schenectady, New York with my brother and sister because we inherited it from my father. And I'll say to them, okay, well, how do you own that property? And they'll look at me like I'm an idiot because they're like, I just told you I own it with my brother and with my sister, right? They don't know if it's joint with rights of survivorship. They don't know if it's tenants in common. What that means is they don't know what's going to happen to the property when they die. Is it going to go to their kids? Is it going to go to their spouse? Or is it going to go to their siblings? And they don't know what's going to happen to the property when their sibling dies who that's going to go to. Uh, and so joint ownership, you know, sometimes it's just ignorance. People, they don't know the rules, but also they just don't know how they own things. So when, when you talk with a new client and whatnot, do they seem, I won't call it flabbergasted, they go, I didn't know it was like that. Yeah, sometimes. I mean, there, there are people who just, don't understand or sometimes you know they've been led down a path that that doesn't really make sense for what they want to do so you know the the property thing that this most commonly happens with property when people inherit property so you know dad dies and the property goes to the three kids and they have no idea how the three of them own it together um it sometimes happens with a bank account or a brokerage account that you inherit uh you know anything like that um, and then it, it also happens, uh, you know, that people have been told or led to believe that something different would happen in, in different situations. Um, how, how about this? How about somebody that thought that they would acquire something through an inheritance, but it didn't happen? Is there any kind of recourse there? Well, I mean, there could be some recourse, but that's actually a really interesting situation when we're talking about like joint ownership, for example. So I had a situation uh, years ago, uh, a brother and sister call me and say, dad just died. And, uh, you know, we, we found out that, um, you know, we're, we're not getting anything, uh, you know, even though he said we were going to. And I said, well, you know, what's going on? They said, well, you know, dad got remarried. And when our mom died, she had everything owned jointly with her new husband. And, and when she died, he got everything. And our dad swore to us that he took care of it, that we were going to get the money. He would never let that happen to us. But in fact, 10 years ago, he made everything joint with his new wife uh, and kept telling us that it was, it was all going to go to us. It was all fine. Um, and, you know, I said, well, how long were they married? And he said, well, they were married like 20 years. I said, look, your dad was entitled to lie to you. And that's what he did, right? He would rather have lied to you about how the asset was owned than tell his new wife he didn't want to have a joint with her, for example. Um, and so, yeah, sometimes people will, will not end up with what they thought they were going to end up with. And a lot of times that is because of joint property. It's because somebody sort of owned it differently than they thought or differently than everyone else thought. Hmm. So most, most people think of wills and a trust when they think of estate planning, mm -hmm. but there are other ways that assets can pass a debt, correct? Sure. So, so we've talked about the joint with rights of survivorship. We talked about how you own an asset with somebody else. Um, there's also different kinds of beneficiary designations. Um, but let's let's focus a little bit still on the joint ownership because you know it's easy to set out the problem here's the problem you you own something jointly and at your death it's going to pass where it wants to go not necessarily where you want it to go um and so how do we how do we deal with that um so for example a lot of times when joint ownership becomes an issue it's because you know one of the kids is trying to help out mom or dad all right so Let's say uh, mom and dad had a house that or some real property they rent out, right? You know, they got an apartment building or a, you know, a, a single family home that they rent out. Uh, and they've got bank account, a brokerage account. They have their own home that they live in. 
Um, and, you know, everything's joint. And so joint rights of survivorship, dad dies, it all goes to mom. Mom now owns 100% of it. That was easy. And that's right. That's what we wanted to happen. We wanted mom to get it. Mom writes a will that says, when I die, leave everything equally to my four sons. She has four kids. Um, they're, they're, all, <clears throat> they're all going to be, uh, you know, our, um, you know, they're all, they're all going to share equally in the estate. Uh, but as mom gets older, she starts having problems managing the property. Uh, very common. You know, she forgets to pay the taxes or she forgets to pay the vendor. She forgets to deposit the rent check. So everyone decides that brother John, you know, the oldest brother who's now the patriarch of the family, he should be in charge. He should be the person who is going to pay the bills and deal with all of the, the sort of administrative stuff. And so mom takes him to the bank and makes him a joint owner of the bank account because that's where the money gets deposited. That's where the bills get paid. And because she's having problems with other stuff also, she makes him a joint owner of the brokerage account. So now he can manage the money. And that's joint owner of her bank account. So she can he can write her checks for her. Um, when she dies, he gets 100% of those bank accounts. He gets 100% of those brokerage accounts. He still gets 25% of everything else, right? The will said, give him 25% give him of everything going through the will. Um, so he gets 25% of the land, he gets 100% of the money, and just to sort of, you know, kick the brothers uh, while they're down, if there are taxes owed on the money he got 100% of, his brothers have to pay 75% of that tax. Yeah, because yeah. The, yeah, the will almost certainly says, pay the taxes from the money going through the will. So why did this happen? How did this happen? Well, I mean, often it's because someone said to mom, the easiest thing to do is make your son a joint owner. If he's a joint owner, he can do anything that you can do, right? He can write checks. He can make trades. He can talk to the 1-800 people. He can talk with the online you know, people at the bank. Everyone will listen to him. Also, people will say, well, I, I did that so that, you know, he could pay my funeral expenses when I die and he could pay my bills when I die, right? It's so easy. If I just make him a joint owner, that's easy. And it is easy. I mean, they're right. It's easy. It, you know, makes everything really, really easy. The problem is it's just not correct, right? Did we really want to give him ownership? No. What we really wanted to give him was control. We want to give him authority, but not, it's not his money. We wanted to stay mom's money and give him control over it. So the bank does the easy thing normally. They'd say, well, this is the easiest thing to do. Um, instead of saying, oh, we can give a power of attorney or we can give check writing authority or we can give trust authority, they make it joint. And ownership is ownership is ownership. There's no such thing as joint ownership for purposes of estate planning only. Uh, you know, once you make someone a joint owner, if you and I are joint owners of a, of, of a bank account, you know, you can walk in the bank one day and take out money. I can walk in the bank the next day and take out money. And they're not going to stop you and say, Bob, you can't take out this money because Mark's not here. They're going to let you take the money out because it's as much your money as it is my money. So, Mark, can you fire those people if you're in that uh... Well, you don't have to fire them because, but we have to fix it, right? That's what we really have to do. We have to fix that situation. Um, unfortunately, sometimes people die before we can fix it, before we can undo the joint ownerships. So then what do we do, right? So brother John comes into the office after mom dies and, you know, he's the executor, he's the trustee, he's in charge of everything. And we sit down and look at all of this. And I say, you know, you've got this, this account uh, and it's your, it's your money. Right? It doesn't belong to the estate, doesn't belong to your brothers, doesn't belong to mom's creditors. It is your money to do anything you want with. And the vast majority of times, what Brother John says to me is, well, that's not what I wanted to happen. I wasn't trying to get the money. I was just trying to help out mom. You know, this wasn't a this wasn't a play on my part to try and do something. I just wanted mom to, you know, I wanted to help. So what do I do? How do I fix this? And if it's a $40,000 bank account, that's easy, right? He can write three $10,000 checks 
no problem. Everybody's thrilled. If it's a $600,000 brokerage account, it's a little more complicated. He can still transfer out the money, but he's going to have to file a gift tax return. He's going to have to say to IRS, I gave away $450,000 to other people. Uh, and they don't pay a tax. He doesn't pay a tax, but it could affect his estate taxes down the line. Um, most of the time, Brother John says, great, that's what I'm going to do. You know, I made a promise to mom. I'm going to fulfill my promise. Um, occasionally, they'll say, well, I, I don't want to do that. I don't want to tell. I mean, you know, we don't want to tell IRS anything. We're not required to tell IRS. We want to avoid giving them information unless we're required to give it to them. Uh, and so sometimes they'll say, well, what else can I do? I don't want to do this, this gift tax thing. Uh, what else can I do? Well, you can give them $18,000 a year. Uh, that you can do, and you don't have to tell IRS about it. Uh, but it's going to take you, you know, five years, six years, seven years to get the money to them. And how happy do you think they're going to be waiting that time to get the money uh, that they're supposed to get when mom died? Wow. Not very happy. Um, so, you know, that, that sometimes happens as well. Um, this has never happened, although I've always worried about it, right? So let's say Brother John comes in on a, on a Friday and says, all right, Mark, this is what happened. And I say, well, you got you can transfer the money out to your brothers. He says, okay, that's what I'm going to do. I made a promise to mom. I told her that I would take care of it. I'm going to take care of it. I will transfer the money out. I'll go Monday and add to Fidelity and, and transfer all the money out. But Saturday, he gets hit by a bus. Now the money doesn't belong to mom, doesn't belong to him. It belongs to his estate. It belongs to his creditors, his wife, his spouse. His kids, do they want to share the money with the brothers? Maybe not, right? And they don't get it at all. Um, the, the other thing that happens sometimes is Brother John will say, I think I'll keep the money and I'll skip Thanksgiving for a few years. I'll go on a cruise <laughs> this November. Uh, and maybe next year, you know, people won't be so won't be so raw about it, about what happened. Um, so you know, we, we can fix it ahead of time. If mom's still alive, we can say, hey, great, let's let's update this stuff. That's the easy part. The hard part is when it's afterwards. Wow. I think it's time for a break. Are you a civilian fed? Join the hundreds of thousands of federal employees who have relied on NITP financial and retirement education to prepare for a successful retirement. Attend an NITP seminar at your agency and visit NITPINC.com for information on free resources available to you, including NITP's free monthly webinar series and newsletter. NITP, the national leader and trusted source for federal benefits training. Welcome back to For Your Benefit. We're here today with Mark Levine, attorney at law, Esquire, knower of all things federal. So where, where do we leave off? I'm knower of some things federal, not quite knower of all things federal, but we were talking about joint ownership first. Um, and sort of how that that can frustrate your estate plan, right? So mom in her will said split everything equally, but because she owned it jointly with brother with with son John, he gets a hundred percent and the will gets ignored. Right. So how do we make that work? We make sure that the, the joint ownership is going to follow the will. Uh, we want to make sure that everything is sort of flowing in the same line. Um, the other big joint ownership issue uh, is really, you know, second marriages. Uh, people get remarried and joint ownership, they've got blended families and joint ownership becomes an issue. Uh, you know, I, let's say I get remarried and my new wife says to me, you know, Mark, if something happens to you, I don't have any place to live, right? You own the house, you die, I'm out on the street. Uh, I want you to make the house joint with rights of survivorship. Remember I said joint with rights of survivorship means when I die, she gets it. I'm in love. I do what she asks. I make the house joint with rights of survivorship. And a month later, we, uh, we're in a car accident. I die immediately. She lives for a week in a coma. When I died, the house went to her. Now, what do you think happens to the house a week later when she dies? Goes to her kids. Goes to her spouse, or not her spouse. It goes to her creditors. <laughs> it goes to whoever inherits from her. Let's say my wife lives and she does exactly what she promised me she would do. 
she writes her will to say, at my death, leave this house to Mark's kids. And she won't make, uh, you know, a new husband joint. And she won't, you know, make, do anything to, to give him a right to it. But when she dies, she's married. And this new spouse has a right to take some of that money. He can take some of her estate. Um, and, and even if he doesn't, she can change her mind. So over the years, I've had clients come back to me and say, you know, Mark, I know I said I'd leave the house to, you know, my former husband's kids, but they don't call me anymore. They don't like me. I never liked them. The heck with <laughs> it. You know, I'm going to change my will. I'm going to leave the money to my kids, not his kids. Nothing you can do about that, right? You know, you're, you're gone. You're relying on this promise. Um, and because you own the house jointly, she can do whatever she wants with it, or he can do whatever he wants with it. Um, in those situations, or to prepare for that, sometimes we'll use a, a, a prenuptial agreement. A lot of people don't want to do a prenup. You know, they'll they'll say, "Look, I I think a prenup is wrong, or it's planning for a marriage to fail." Uh, and you know, as I have to remind them, your marriage may not fail, but it's going to end. A hundred percent of marriages end. We just hope they end in death rather than divorce. Um, but if you have kids and they have kids, you've got to sort of do the work ahead of time to make sure your estate plan for everyone, you know, sort of works the way that we want it to. Um, so a prenup can help with that. A prenup can say, okay, we're going to set things up ahead of time so that the, the new spouse gets what they need, the kids get what they need, and that sort of helps to, to deal with that problem uh, of, of, you know, what do we do in that situation rather than have the house joint. So the joint is easy. That's the easiest thing. That's, you know, let's just do that. But it's not the right thing. It's not the thing that gives the most control in that situation. How many people recognize the, um, the complexity of this? Um, I think I do, I do think there's some, I won't say sticker shock, but there's some sort of, uh, when we, when we do the seminar, certainly we spend three hours talking about all this stuff and, and people aren't clear, you know, what a will does do and what a will doesn't do. <laughs> they aren't clear on what probate is. Um, and so, you know, it doesn't occur to them that they have to make sure that everything points in the same direction that everything works the way it's supposed to work um, together, right? It's not all separate things. It's not my TSP over here and my will over here and my house over there. We have to make sure they all work together. And I think that is a surprise to people sometimes. Wow. So uh, uh, over, over the years, do you find this rough for people to, um, to hear? they have preconceived ideas of where things should go and whatnot not that they're greedy but they just you know they wanted the the picture in the living room of, of everybody they wanted the uh old car in the garage or they, they want to take a trip to bimini <laughs> um i think that you know some of those problems have decreased for sure uh <clears throat> you know it's probably been a long time since we've had to argue over the photo album because we can make such good copies now, right? So when I started, there was a photo album and that photo album meant those memories, right? If you had the photo album, you were the keeper of the memories of the family. Now, you know, we take the photo album to a really good reproduction place. They digitize everything. And now everyone's got the, the memories and everyone has that. So haven't had to argue over that in a while, really. Um, in terms of the stuff, I mean, nobody wants the stuff. That's that is a universal theme. Uh, you know, most of the time, the issue is not, you know, which kid gets the stuff. It is, uh, you know, what are we going to do with it? How do we get rid of it? Um, and and so, you know, that part of it, less and less is an issue. Money, sure, they want the money, um, but they don't really want the couch, and they don't really want you know, the, the China, and they don't really want the things that, you know, previous generations really valued as, you know, going, you know, sort of down the family line. Yeah, I had a, 
situation. This is a fair number of years ago, and it was much the same as what we have here, but the uh, daughter was uh, in an auto accident and survived and inherited some assets. But the parents felt like they shouldn't be inherited because the house now needed a swimming pool. They need a swimming pool. <laughs> but, but, but somehow they got through the um, uh, court system in, in a county far from here. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, people ask about when we're naming people, you know, naming someone as a power of attorney or naming mm -hmm. someone as a trustee. The, the first thing I say is we're looking for people you trust with common sense. Uh, and if the first question a client has for me is, look, if I make my brother-in-law the trustee or I make him the power of attorney or I make him the executor, he could just take the money, right? Um, and my answer is, number one, no. I mean, he's got the ability to take the money. He doesn't have the right to take the money. Uh, that's a crime. That's embezzlement. But more importantly, if your first question to me is, can he steal from me? They're probably not the best person to pick. You know, we're looking for people that when we talk about them, our first concern isn't they might steal from us. Uh, so we're, we want people we trust in those roles. Um, sometimes people want the joint ownership because it bypasses the roles, right? If it's jointly owned, it just goes to that person. They, you know, there's no executor or trustee or anyone else who enters into it at that point. Uh, and so that's why people do that. Um, you know, the other, the other big thing uh, that we don't control through our will and we don't control through our trust are beneficiary designated assets. Uh, you know, if your will says, give my TSP to Bob, doesn't matter, right? The TSP wants to look at its beneficiary designation. And it's going to say, okay, here's who inherits under the beneficiary designation. And if there's no beneficiary designation, they want to look at the order of precedence and say, okay, who gets it under law? Um, the, the estate, your will, doesn't come into that until pretty far down the line uh, before it, that's who controls who gets it. Um, so beneficiary designations are really these, these other estate planning documents. Uh, there are these other things that we have to do that are just like a will or just like a trust. We've got to fill them out and make sure they make sense for what we want to accomplish because they're just as important to us as our will. Should family members see the will? Um, it really depends on sort of where they are in, in the family and where they are in the, the life of the parent. So, you know, I've got three kids who are 18, 21, and 23. It is not important that they see the will. What's important is that they know things are taken care of, that I can say to them, we've done this. If something happens, Aunt Nancy's going to step in and she's going to help out and it's taken care of. That's what they need to know, that we've dealt with it. Now, if they're 43 and 41 and, and 38, you know, hopefully they're the ones who are doing it. Aunt Nancy's not part of it anymore. It's them who's going to help. And so, yeah, there's, there's often a very good reason for them to see it because <clears throat> we want them to know what's happening. We want them to know what job they're, they're doing. Uh, you know, and, and be able to, to prepare for that as best they can. And, you know, when, when you're in your, you know, 80s and 90s, it's really important because they may have to step in sooner to help out uh, and do things. Wow. Do you, have you ever had to referee uh, debates uh, among siblings? Sure. I mean, I've had to, I've had to referee Bates, I've also had to deliver bad news, right? So we talk about the beneficiary designations and, you know, they'll come in and say, well, the will says split everything equally, but gosh, we called, uh, we called TSP or we called Fidelity and uh, they said they won't split the TSP differently. You know, mom only put John's name on it and they're only going to give it to John. They're not going to give it to all three of us, even though mom thinks we should all have it or thought we should all have it or, um, or we have, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, we thought we or or we want to split it or we want to do something different with it. Um, and so, um, you know, you've got to 
break the bad news that that's not a thing that can happen. You're going to have to figure out a different way to work this because when mom was doing her estate planning, she, you know, took care of the beneficiary designations on Tuesday and then, you know, took care of her will on Thursday and never thought about the two together or the lawyer didn't think about them together. You know, sometimes lawyers, uh, they might say, look, we're going to do your will and we're going to do your power of attorney. But, you know, those those beneficiary designations, just make sure you take care of them. And, and they need to do them all together. Really, they, they need to be taken care of um, because because they're they're not just automatic um and you know they're not always going to produce the result that you think so is there any rights to the folks that uh, were forgotten or weren't taken care of in the will uh, not necessarily in other okay. words you know if you if if you again you said to somebody your whole life i'm going to leave you money you know what don't worry you're in the will your family, I'm going to leave you money. And then you don't, they don't have any right to it. No one has the right to inherit anything from you other than your spouse and minor children. No one else has the right. You can disinherit anybody. You can leave money to one person and not another person. There's not necessarily a recourse. Um, it's when it happens accidentally that it's really tragic. In other words, if you decide you're not leaving money to someone, so be it. It's your money. You leave it to whoever you want. Uh, but it happens accidentally sometimes. So, for example, TSP has changed their rules about some of their beneficiary designations. And now I think when people go to, to do those beneficiary designations or to update them, you know, they may be uh, surprised at what the result is. And they're surprised at what TSP is telling them is going to happen in, in that situation. Alrighty, I've I got some questions here, <clears throat> and let me ask this. I may have asked it before. What is the difference between owning something jointly or as tenants in common? Right. So we talked about if I own it joint with you and I and I die, you get it. If I own it tenants in common with you and I die, it goes wherever my will says that it goes. So that that is that controls. Who controls the asset? Joint with rights of survivorship is, is easy. It gets to the beneficiary quickly, but you have no control over it. Tenants in common is more complicated. Uh, it passes more slowly, but you completely control who gets it. So it's up to you who's going to get it. It's not up to just the titling there at all. Um, so that's, that's the, the main difference there. All righty, here's another one with somewhat the same, not, not the same words. What exactly is tenants by the entireties? So tenants by the entireties is interesting because that's, that is joint with rights of survivorship uh, with, between married people. Um, so you and your spouse together own a piece of property. You are treated as though you are a third entity. So if, if, uh, if Susan and I own a, a house, tenants by the entireties, and I have a credit card bill for you know $25,000, the credit card company can't come after the house because Susan isn't on that bill. But if it's a joint bill, then they can come after the house. So tenants by the entireties is only available to married people, uh, and it creates some additional creditor protection. It keeps me from endangering the house by my reckless spending, you know, I I go to I go to Vegas and and run up a big bill. Um, they can't take our house away because of that. If it's tenants by the entireties. Wow, which then brings in another I think easy question to answer based on everything we just talked about. Most people think of wills and trusts when they think of estate planning, but there are other ways that assets pass a death, right? And I think you covered that, right? Yeah, so we've talked we've talked about the joint ownership and we've talked about the beneficiary designations. There's a little more we're going to talk about with beneficiary designations, I think, after the after the next break. But, uh, you know, we're going to sort of look at um, different. We'll talk about some different benefits. And I want to talk specifically a little bit about the TSP because they've changed uh, their beneficiary designation uh, a little bit. Uh, and I think that it's not 
it's not what people expect it to be anymore. Um, so that's something that I think that we definitely want to talk about when we come back. Okay, so let's uh, take a break and people can listen and pick up more information. Then we're back to uh, close the gap. Who do you trust when making your most important decisions? National Institute of Transition Planning has been the trusted source for federal retirement planning, serving new, mid-career, and pre-retirement federal employees for more than 30 years. NITP's subject matter experts bring more than 800 years of collective expertise on federal benefits, financial, transition, and estate planning. Visit NITPinc.com. That's NITPinc.com to sign up for their free monthly newsletter and information about free webinars. Are you at the mid-career stage of your federal career, or do you plan to retire in the next five years and wonder if you are prepared for retirement? No matter what career stage you are, it's never too early to dot the I's and cross the T's. NITP now offers online open enrollment training to help you understand your federal benefits package and financial planning options with tips and tools to plan and fine-tune your retirement planning goals. Visit NITPINC.com to download the current brochure and calendar. Welcome back to the final leg of today's show. We're here with Mark Levine, Esquire, um, fellow seminar presenter, and knows all things federal, as well as outside federal. <laughs> I know, I know, I know mostly many things of state planning and federal. But actually, there is one federal thing that I've discovered more recently. Um, as as you know, as a lot of people know, TSP changed a lot of things uh, in the last couple of years. Um, one of the things they changed was how their beneficiary designations work. So let's say that I'm a federal employee. I'm married. I have two kids and they have kid, families of their own. Um, my TSP is set up. It says, when I die, leave my TSP to my wife. Okay, that's easy. Something happens to me. She gets it. No problem. But let's say she predeceases me and I want to change this beneficiary designation. So instead of it going to my wife and my kids, I make my kids now the primary. They each get 50%. But they have families of their own, and I want to make sure that if something happens to one of them, their family gets it, that gets the money. So I want to say in the beneficiary designation, if, if you know, my son John um, does not uh, survive, I want his share to go to his kids. That makes sense. That's what, that's what we do a lot. Um, but they won't do that. Now, what TSP says is we will not pay any successor beneficiary until all primary beneficiaries are dead, right? So I'm leaving the money to 50% to my daughter and 50% to my son. Something happens to my son, the money doesn't go to his kids. It goes to my daughter instead. She gets 100% and his kids get zero. Um, and that's not something I think most people, and it's not what the rule was before, before you could split up the beneficiary and, and it could go to different people. Now they, they've taken that option away. And I think it's really important for people to understand that because it may require different decisions about sort of where you hold the money uh, at retirement. Wow. Mark, I, my, my pen is dry from the ink taking notes. How does somebody contact you outside of today? Sure. So um, uh, my email is mark, M-A-R-C, at handlerlevine.com, H-A-N-D-L-E-R-L-E-V-I-N-E.com. So mark, M-A-R-C, at handlerlevine.com. Phone number is 301-961-6464, extension 3313. And our website, www.handlerlevine.com, H-A-N-D-L-E-R-L-E-V-I-N-E.com. Great. All righty, back to back to where we were. <laughs> so you know the um, the beneficiary designation stuff is is interesting. I mean the TSP part changed, and so that's really important to focus on. But in general, as I said, like we treat these as though they're their own estate planning documents. Uh, so if you you know you take care to create someone's will and make sure it reflects what they want and you take care to, to create someone's trust and make sure it reflects what they want, you've got to tie the beneficiary designation into that, right? So again, I mentioned I've got three kids. They're 18, 21, 23. Good kids, uh, you know, good people, good, you know, young adults. I think they're going to be excellent regular adults. Um, <laughs> 
but I do have a trust in my planning, uh, you know, if something were to happen to us. Um, and, you know, that right now it says, look, the, the, you know, the trustee uses the money for their health, their education, their maintenance and support. Um, I generally don't make plans where, where kids get a lot of money in their 20s. I want them to have to get up every day, go to work, go to school, um, and then, you know, get more money in their, their, their 30s, 40s, et cetera. Um, so the problem is, let's say you're, you're a Fed and the TSP says to my wife, but if my wife predeceases me to my kids, or your Fegley says that, or, or, you know, at your death, the money doesn't go into that trust I just created. You know, I spent all this time and, and effort and money to create a trust, but I didn't tie my life insurance, or I didn't tie my brokerage account, or I didn't tie my retirement account into that trust. If you want a trust to manage an asset, the trust has to be the beneficiary of that asset. So my life insurance, you know, or my, my IRA, or in, you know, if I was a federal employee, my TSP would say at my death to my wife as the primary person, that's fine. But at her death, it goes not to my kids, but to the trust for my kids. I make the trust the beneficiary. If you don't do that, the, the trust itself may not accomplish very much. It may not do what you want it to do. It may kind of be a waste. Um, and, and we don't want that. We want to make sure everything works the way we think it's going to work. Are there a multitude of beneficiary forms uh, within the federal sector that our listeners should be aware of? Sure. Well, I mean, there's the basic ones, right? So there's your your uh, annuity. So the CSRS, if, if you're an older employee, uh, and the Federal Employee Retirement System, FERS, if you're a newer employee, um, those deal with sort of where that benefit goes if you don't survive. Uh, there's uh, FEGLI, Federal Employee Government Life Insurance. So that deals with where the insurance goes and, and making sure it goes in different places. And you can actually cut that up in different ways. So, you know, you have a basic uh, life insurance benefit. You have then options, option A, option B, which are sort of different amounts, option C, which is family. But you could say that option A goes here and option B goes there. You can say it's 50% here and 30% here and 20% there. You can sort of chop that up as you want it to be. Um, and then there's the SF-1152. This is the one most people forget about. It's your unpaid compensation and accrued leave. Um, so it's your last paycheck, which, you know, I mean, that's, 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 uh, that's money we want to make sure goes where we want but it may not be a, a hugely significant amount of money. It's also all of your accrued leave is getting distributed out by this form. Uh, and so for a lot of people, that is a pretty significant amount of money. Uh, and we wanna make sure, same as with the other things, that it's it's being directed to the place that we want it to go to uh, and, and make sure that that works. Um, there are other forms uh, from other agencies or in other situations. There's the horribly named death gratuity payment, uh, which uh, comes actually through the Department of Labor for some reason. But it's basically a payment if you get killed in certain war zones or, or areas designated by the government. Um, and there's a beneficiary designation for that. Um, the TSP covers most of the government, but you know there are some of the agencies that have their own version of the thrift plan. And so those are you know have different forms and different uh, things that you have to look at. Uh, there are some places in the government where you have access to different kinds of retirement plans. So you may have a TAKREF account um, if you're in one of the sciences, you know, or, or you know, uniform systems, uh, university type of thing. And so those are, are forms that you may have to make sure are working there. And then you've all the things that are outside that. You've got your outside life insurance. You have your WAPO life insurance or you have your, you know, whatever it is that life insurance has its own beneficiary. Um, so, you know, and then if you have any IRAs with anybody else or any 401k with anybody else, or if your spouse does, those all have beneficiary designations. Wow, it seems like it's uh, time for another break. Andrew? 
Who do you trust when making your most important decisions? National Institute of Transition Planning has been the trusted source for federal retirement planning, serving new, mid-career, and pre-retirement federal employees for more than 30 years. NITP's subject matter experts bring more than 800 years of collective expertise on federal benefits, financial, transition, and estate planning. Visit NITPinc.com. That's NITPinc.com to sign up for their free monthly newsletter and information about free webinars. Are you at the mid-career stage of your federal career, or do you plan to retire in the next five years and wonder if you are prepared for retirement? No matter what career stage you are, it's never too early to dot the I's and cross the T's. NITP now offers online open enrollment training to help you understand your federal benefits package and financial planning options with tips and tools to plan and fine-tune your retirement planning goals. Visit NITPINC.com to download the current brochure and calendar. All righty, Mark. Um, well, we can. We, we started talking a little bit about um, the different kinds of benefits that there are. And one of the challenges for people is that they lose track of where these different beneficiary, um, what things require a beneficiary, what things don't, um, or what happens if you don't. So again, we were talking about all sorts of um, the, the government benefits, uh, and there are the basic ones that, that most people have. And then there are some that, you know, you might have at a particular agency that you don't have at another agency. Uh, and then all the ones you have outside of the government, uh, you know, not only are there the ones that are sort of obvious to you. So you worked at a company somewhere and you've got a 401k that you never merged into the TSP, uh, or you got a life insurance policy when the kids were young and that you've got to make sure works where it's going to work. But there are lots of little ones out there too. So there are bank accounts or credit union accounts that may have an insurance uh, beneficiary attached to it. Uh, there are people who had MetLife accounts, for example, where it used to be that you were a shareholder uh, and then they, they you know, sort of demutualized and you got stock. And so you have these stock accounts with, uh, with you know, ComputerServe or someplace like that that are not going to go uh, directly through a beneficiary if you don't move it. Uh, bank accounts, brokerage accounts often have what are called transfer on death or uh, payable on death accounts. And those are those are beneficiaries that say, okay, for this bank account or this brokerage account, at my death, I'm gonna set this up to go directly to my spouse or my kids or somebody else that I want to have it. I think one of the most um, complicated things for people to deal with with beneficiary designations is when we're dealing with any of the qualified plans. Um, so as you know, Bob, you know the TSP is great and it's it's a wonderful savings tool and it's a wonderful accumulation tool. Eventually, though, it starts getting paid out. And when you get a check, if you get a distribution from the TSP, you also get taxes. Right. So you're, you know, all of that comes out as ordinary income to you. Uh, and so you have to pay the income tax on it. Someone somewhere almost always is going to have to pay the income tax on that TSP. And the same thing is true for your 401k or your IRA. Um, it's going to go out and someone's got to pay income tax on it. And Uncle Sam didn't say you never have to pay income tax on it. They said you don't have to pay income tax on it right now. If it's a Roth, they said, hey, you have to pay income tax on it up front, but then you don't have to pay income taxes on it. If it's not a Roth, they said, you don't have to pay income taxes right now. It can all go into this account. But at some point when it comes out, you're going to have to pay the income taxes. Um, those rules about how people paid income taxes stayed pretty steady for a long, long time. And then in 2020, they completely changed. Uh, people may have heard or, or be familiar with something called the SECURE Act, um, and that changed completely how some people inherited those kinds of accounts. Um, so if you think about it, there's really like four, four, five kinds of people or five categories of people who inherit from you your TSP, right? So um, there is a charity. You have a, a $500,000 TSP and you leave it all to the United Way. The United Way takes that money. They don't pay any income taxes. They just take the money 
uh, and they go off and they do their good work. And so it's a really efficient income tax result because zero income taxes are ever paid. Um, your spouse probably doesn't think the United Way is the best beneficiary though. Your spouse would probably strongly prefer you leave it to them rather to than to the United Way. Um, and, and that's a, a better, uh, that they are the next best beneficiary uh, because they can roll it into their own, uh, their own account. Uh, then there are non-spouse beneficiaries. Uh, they take it and have to pay the money out over 10 years. And then there are some non-spouse beneficiaries like a chronically ill beneficiary or a beneficiary that's within 10 years of you uh, who can stretch it out over their lifetime. Uh, and then there's a trust. So we're running tight up against the I, door. I know. So so those are the five different kinds of beneficiaries that, that can end up. And you've got to make sure that you you deal with all of those together as, as part of your estate planning overall. Okay. Final thoughts. We got we got a whole minute here, Andrew says. So I mean the final thoughts are just consider how you own things with other people as an estate planning issue. Consider your beneficiary designations as estate planning documents. So I don't just have to get my will done, I have to get my will done and my beneficiary designations. And I have to make sure I look at how I own things with other people because all of those things wrap up together in figuring out what happens to your stuff, how your stuff gets from point A to point B when you die. Andrew says, perfect timing. Thanks, Mark. Thank you, Bob. Thanks, Andrew. And thanks, listeners. Bye-bye. You've been listening to For Your Benefit, presented by NITP and sponsored by WEPA. Please tune in next Monday at 10 a.m. for a topic solely devoted to you, the federal employee. This show can also be heard on demand at federalnewsradio.com. Search For Your Benefit. Thanks for listening.